Welcome to our podcast, Regulation Matters, A Clear Conversation. Once again, I'm your host, Lyne Dempsey. I'm currently the Chief Compliance Officer with Riccoveni Associates Family Dentistry here in North Carolina, and I'm also the Chair of the National Certified Investigative Training Committee with CLEAR. As many of you may know, the Council on Licensure Enforcement and Regulation, or CLEAR, is an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupational regulation. Our podcast is a chance for you to hear about the, the current topics in our regulatory community. And today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Carter. Uh, she is the Executive Director for the Virginia Board of Health Professions and the Director of the DHP Healthcare Workforce Data Center. We're so glad to have you with us, Liz. Hello, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yes, and, and thank you also for our, our listeners for joining us. So today, uh, the topic of today's conversation is specifically Virginia's Sanction Reference Points Program. Uh, but I think what's great about this is that it touches on a couple areas that have been have seen a lot of discussion lately in some of our clear events recently. Um, you know, it's certainly an example of using data to inform policy. And it's based on ensuring fair treatment and reducing bias and regulation, certainly an issue that a lot of boards are looking at right now. So for our listeners that maybe don't know what the Sanction Reference Points Program is, could you kind of give a, a brief overview of that for us, Liz? Okay, thank you. Yeah, uh, bear with me. It's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, it began 20 years ago, but in essence, uh, the Virginia Section Reference Points Research Program really is an application of research methods that were used to develop, update, and maintain the criminal justice system sentencing guidelines. We basically borrowed heavily from them, uh, so it is, it is tailored for professional licensing uh, in our disciplinary arena. We have separate Sanction Reference Point manuals that have point factor-based scoring sheets uh, that have been prepared in consultation with, with each of the licensing boards. And the SRPs are really designed to ensure fair treatment because they are based on factors that the respective board has determined should be taken into consideration and it excludes all other factors. So at the heart of both, with the criminal justice systems version and our own, is a desire to leverage empirical, objective, data-driven approach to help ensure that fair treatment. Um, they start basically by determining the factors that those decision makers and other experts consider to be the most relevant uh, in making your sanctioning decisions. Uh, and then we obtain the data uh, to gain the objective empirical information that will detail those factors that are actually associated uh, with your past case decisions. So you do a statistical analysis. Researchers then share the results with the decision makers and ask them to determine if there are what we call extra legal or unwarranted factors that should not continue to play a role. And once they've told us what shouldn't be there, we'll take what's left of <laughs> the factors that should be there. And then we can develop operational definitions of those factors and scaling of point values for offense and respondent factors. Uh, and, based, and then the, the, the scaling is based on their statistical weights. Uh, and the points basically value the mirror, they mirror uh, severity. Uh, their instructions for scoring and comparisons are, are, are then used against the sanctioning threshold. I'm prepared in a manual with the scoring sheets reflecting some common categories for cases uh, for that particular board. So like standard of care may have a separate sheet than inappropriate relationships, frauds, and so forth. And I can talk all day about what, what we did, but I do want to share with you, if you go to the Department of Health Professions website, you will see each of the board's manuals are there. And our main website is www.dhp for Department of Health Professions 
www.virginia.gov. Click on any of the licensing boards and under uh, their guidance documents, you will see a manual. So it's better to actually see a live manual. I think you can do that you know, in your own time. When you're bored, middle of the night, you want to read something, you can go look at that, but that's, it's available to you. Thank you. <laughs> well, so, so I guess what was the impetus for the program? I mean, other than, I mean, it seems like the most glaring thing would be consistency, but, but I yes. guess, you know, you know, and, and get, and from that, how, how are these, you know, sanctioned reference points, um, you know, basically how are they developed? Yes, absolutely. Well, I think first I need to answer, uh, to say something about um, the Department of Health Professions and the Board of Health Professions. In Virginia, we have uh, the Department of Health Professions is an umbrella agency. It houses 13 uh, health professional boards, plus some other programs, including uh, the Healthcare Workforce Data Center. Uh, and it also has a board of health professions. And that board has uh, members from each of the licensing boards. They're all government appointees. Um, and then we have five citizen members, but they have several powers and duties. One of which is their primary role is to conduct independent research and make recommendations to the governor, our, our secretary, our director, our department, general assembly, and so forth on matters that pertain to health professional regulation and agency performance. And there's one little section in the code that uh, it really is the impetus for everything here. We are to also periodically review the investigatory, disciplinary, and enforcement processes of the department and the individual boards, okay? to ensure the public protection and the fair and equitable treatment of health professionals. Now, I've been with the Department of Health Professions since 1990, one capacity or another. I've been a board exec for optometry and veterinary medicine. But in 2001, I became the executive director for the board. And I actually looked at my code because we're supposed to do that. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> how do you do that? How do you do all those things to ensure public protection, the fair and equitable treatment of health professions. The Board of Health Professions is advisory only. Um, and you know, I, I knew through the years, there are thousands of cases that come to us each year and hundreds of proceedings. Some of them are actually being held at the same time. Again, we're in that umbrella agency, so we've got lots of hearings that are going on. So how in the world can you know, the staff that you're hearing is one third of Board of Health Professions staff. Uh, how can you be at all those things? How could you, you know, determine um, where fairness is going? I mean, so. For years, or actually since the 1970s, the Board of Health Professions has reviewed like the disciplinary process, you know, number of cases that we had and the outcomes of those cases in terms of violation, no violation, that's easy. We have a database that had all kinds of information that we just have as this sort of standard there for case categories and all of that. But when you really look at that second statement, it talks about fairness. So, how, you know, who's met, how do you, what criteria do you use for fairness? I mean, you can kind of look to see if something has been appealed to the courts, but I knew there was something better out there. Um, and also, we're starting to get complaints from the agency, uh, from the media, different uh, consumer groups, uh, complainants themselves are going to fuss, you know, if they've been found in violation and respondents may, you know, uh, weren't, weren't found in violation. The respondents, were, you know, they may be upset about, you know, how they've been sanctioned. So, uh, you know, you heard complaints of something being too lenient or too harsh. And worst of all, is inconsistent. Like, why did Mr. Jones get, you know, a fine of fifty dollars, where Miss, you know, Miss Smith got a, you know, she has to take extra CE and a fine and, you know, all these other kinds of things that you would have in your sanction. So that's it's kind of hard to answer that question. And uh, for us, uh, the boards, the board members are are basically uh, they're in our, in our they're the ones who make the decisions about 
whether the findings of fact, the conclusions of law and the sanctions and then the orders are written right. based upon their judgment. So, you know, you know, it's not like we have uh, hearing judges and that sort of thing that would have a little bit of um, case law or anything to go by. So it really is, you know, case by case. So um, it's, it's not fair to them. I knew from being a board exec from the uh, optometry and veterinary medicine, what would often happen is like, well, you know, they're very clear on, on you know, what, what the violation was. And they're very clear on the, you know, you find your law and your regulations and all that. But, you, you know, they, they'd look at staff in a closed session and go, well, why? What, what, what kind of sanctions should we impose? And they'd look at us and I'm going, oh, you can't do that. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> right. they, you'd ask us what we've done in the past. Well, there's a lot of things wrong with that. It's inherently biasing. Uh, your memories are going to be subjective uh, you, and, and they provide no proof that the sanctions that are imposed relate to the type or severity of misconduct. We shouldn't have case histories like you have in the criminal justice system. And on top of that, more and more attorneys are involved in a lot of our proceedings. And so, you know, they see when you go in that closed session, that's ex parte communication that's going on. So they don't even have a chance to argue for the sanction right. against it. So all of that kind of came together. And the Board of Health Professions just said, okay, we need to really start looking at this. This is what our law is. And so they asked us to develop a work plan, uh, the staff, and I'm, I'm going to read it. I have to do that. I know I don't want to be scripted and everything, but I'm going to say this because they told us we have to provide an empirical, systematic analysis of board sanctions for offenses and to derive reference points for board members and an educational tool for respondents and the public. That's a tall order. Um, and we, we said, OK, let's let's see where we can find, you know, where is this out there? And there's nothing in our uh, regulatory literature that I could find uh, similar. There's, there's some boards that have uh, some basic um, recommendations for certain kinds of uh, fines or something like that for CE and that's, those sorts of things. But nothing really systematized like it was, except in the, and again, in the criminal justice system. So thank goodness we had them um, and we had to have because we're, we're actually doing research. Uh, and we're not a university, we had to have our, uh, the help of our AG's office because they um, they sort of served as our institutional review board. And they allowed us to to go through and, and set these systems up. Uh, they gave us the, the go ahead to do that, uh, but not to use them in a formal hearing. We also worked inside um, with our uh, just internal staff, the other board execs, and they, they all recommended it said for any sanctioned system to be successful, it's got to be uh, really developed with complete board oversight. So each individual board had to be involved. It's got to be value neutral. It's got to be grounded in sound data analysis, and it's got to be voluntary. So those are the, the parameters under what we have, and that's you know kind of got us going. Uh, we were very fortunate uh, also. I think you know, serendipity plays a, a lot in what we have been doing with this as well. We already had uh, Visual Research Incorporated uh, help us with some of our own statistical analyses. When you had to get into complex multivariate analyses of whatever policy question would come along, that contractor actually would help us. So they, they already were available to us. And, and as fate would have it, uh, one of the, the chief uh, uh, folks that are involved in that uh, company uh, had actually worked with the criminal justice system when they were developing the sentencing guidelines back in the 1980s. So we were really lucky to say, okay, Let's let's try to work our way through that. Um, well, I right. guess I guess on a on a on a practical side of things, I guess how how did the licensing board actually use this tool during like a disciplinary process? And I think you mentioned before, like they're you're not able to use it for a formal hearing. Is that correct? We are not able to use it for a formal hearing. Um, I mean, I, it would be doable. It's very easy. Everything we do is so transparent. It was just out of an abundance of caution. Uh, they didn't want us sure. to have to, you know, it was something new. And so 
I left it alone. You know, it's, it's worked well for us. We don't have about 5% of our cases end up at a formal hearing anyway. So, you know, the majority of our cases where you find probable cause, and that's about 20% of all the cases overall, uh, you can certainly use the sanction reference and it's, and it's worked very well for us. But yeah, the boards, um, right. the, and the boards were engaged in this. We didn't just kind of go off and do our little, you know, statistical analyses alone. Uh, we, we met with the respective board, uh, like their, their representatives from each of their boards, their staff, um, and we had some basic, sort of a qualitative little survey that we went through saying, you know, what, what factors do you think, you know, where should we start to look at this again? Because we didn't have a literature to go by. We can't use the criminal justice literature. We had to look at what was going on in our own world. And, you know, they gave us basically over 100 factors for us to start looking at. Um, and it, it allowed us to have sort of a historical portrait for respective boards. We started with medicine first. They had a lot of cases. Um, and um, again, most of their cases were standard of care. and and those kinds of things, but they had a very complex uh, uh, array of different kinds of case categories and levels of severities to start out with. And um, so we were able to basically work with them and figure out what, you know, let's just, just do all the statistics and see what we come up with. And we were able to identify, you know, some factors that had some heavy weights in terms of what, if you could, uh, predict what the sanction would be based upon what uh, the case involved. Um, and so we took all that back and then you meet with the board. You do it during, a, you know, here's your whole board meeting. Here's what we found guys. Um, and well, like I said, with Board of Medicine first, you know, we found a lot of factors that they said, this, this is great. You know, the whole board looked at everything. And that, but then we some, found some factors that were not so, you know, it, it, the things that they needed to consider, unwarranted factors there. And that's where we made our normative adjustments. Those are considered those extra legal factors, just like the, the justices dealt with. So things like, um, the age of the practitioner, it mattered. You hold, you could hold all those other factors constant and you were more likely to lose your license if you were an older practitioner. You were also more likely, and nobody knew that because they're case by case. You don't know this stuff till you see it. Um, we found out that if you were a woman, uh, it, you were more likely to lose your license. And if you didn't have an attorney present during a proceeding, you were more likely to lose your license, holding all those other variables constant. So of course, Board said, "Oh, please throw that out. We don't, you know, we don't want those biasing factors, so we've excluded those." And we were able then to um, uh, develop manuals um, that provide instructions on how and, and worksheets that they use that, are, that use those point values of the remaining factors. Um, and there are both offense and the respondents uh, scores, and we do training to the boards and so forth. So that helps you to establish it. Um, and then we we basically every month. Uh, we go back to each board and all, all 13 of our boards now have their own sanction reference point systems and they're based on their own factors. And I have to say this just kind of funny and don't you can laugh if you like. You know, it matters a lot to dentistry, for example, the number of teeth involved. OK, but it, no, now for psychology, they don't care about that. Of course, you know, so it, 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 you really do have to tailor it to the individual board. So but we, we, we look at our um, we, we also because these tools also need to evolve over time. Um, we, we monitor it every month. So we look to see if there's agreement with what the recommendation, what the recommended sanction is. Uh, and if there are reasons for departure, we ask the boards to fill that out. It is voluntary. They're not forced to do what we've recommended as the range of sanctions. But we ask them, if you don't use that, tell us why not. You know, there may be ameliorating, there may be mitigating factors. And we also, we monitor that and we feed that back to the board. So it's an ongoing, dynamic, data-fed process. Uh, well, it's an interesting um, point. I mean, obviously, you guys have been doing this for a little while, 
and, and yeah. you mentioned, you know, uh, kind of uh, tweaking things along the way. I guess what kind of, of, of maybe benefits are you seeing from using this? Oh, absolutely. The benefits are that we can train new board members. They're on par with everybody else, basically, uh, is, whether you're an older practitioner or not. Uh, some of our boards have uh, agency of subordinate panels. Uh, and and what, this, what these manuals do, they basically tell you these are the factors that the board considers important in your sanctioning. So you know that up front. We use this to train our investigators. So that actually helps them to know, hey, you know, we need to know, you know, what happened on this particular day and the level of, of uh, harm, uh, which we have scales for. They can actually look at that and see what they need to be finding evidence of as opposed to just, and, you know, a lot of other factors that, that don't matter to the board. So that's been a, a huge help for them. Um, and it's, you know, basically uh, just having a, a sense of it. it's in their control. Each board can do that if they need to change factors. There are new professions that come up, uh, and so we'll amend it then. So, it, again, it's, it's their tool. It's, it's each board's own tool. So, you know, the, the big benefit that they see is having that as something to rely upon. It's their own, you know, case history that they can have at their fingertips. They don't have to go through all these musty old case law books that the judges do. They actually do have that for them. So that's the biggest thing. The other thing about it too, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you know, before when the press was fussing, like, well, why did they, you know, what kind of sanction did this person get versus the other? What are you all doing? Is there buying? The boards had no way to defend themselves. If they use the sanction reference points, it, they, you go here, look at this member of the press, look at this, you know, opposing attorney, whatever it is. They, you have um, it's transparency. It explains the why behind the sanction that was, uh, was this decision was made. We also have done a follow-up on this as well to see, you know, if after 10 years into it, we were doing it. We found we looked at uh, consistency, as you were mentioning a little bit earlier. We wanted to make sure that the sanctions that were imposed were proportional to the offense and that everything was kind of neutral. So we basically, you've got a way to defend. You have a way to ensure fairness. And, and they can explain themselves with this. So it helps those, like I said, it helps those new board members, old, the boards are no longer defenseless. Uh, also, these, these manuals are online. We do training for the bar. We do training for the public. Anybody who's interested in it, you kind of then now, you now know why a board might have made a sanctioning decision that they did. So that's the biggest benefit that I see. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. I'm sure, you know, um, even even that practitioner uh, can take a look at those things and kind of understand, you know, kind of where they're headed when they've made mistakes along the way. So well, that's true. I know, let me interject real quick. That's true. Sure, that's absolutely. Another benefit. That's another benefit. We have found that attorneys will not, they'll never like say, oh, my client, if my client were guilty of this, you know, and they'll look at it. And often what we found um, anecdotally is that they said, well, you know, can I, can I do a pre-hearing instead of us going to a proceeding? Um, you know, we'll stipulate to this because they, they basically do know what the the general sanction will be for their client. So that has helped as well. Right. Well, that's helpful. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, and, and I certainly know uh, anecdotally that, you know, a lot of boards are looking at, you know, using data to, to make informed mm -hmm. decisions and also reducing bias. Obviously, that's a, a big buzz thing uh, in, in, yeah. in regulation right now. Um, but if other boards we're interested um, in developing this sort of tool. You know, are there some existing sources of data that you know most boards likely already have to help them get started in this? Oh, absolutely. Um, again, I think it, it never hurts to, to to find out from the wisdom of those that are practicing. Just ask them what their own thoughts are about what their sanctioning uh, culture is like. What you know, what those things that they should look at. But 
but you know it, it would be great if you already have uh, your cases in a database uh, that that talks about like the, the case category for example like standard of care or was it CE or was it you know whatever it was if you've got that already there that's great um, if you have some measure of, of severity like uh, if, you know for cases where you had to do a summary suspension for example you know there's uh, that data should be in your in your system if you don't have it doesn't matter whether you got it if you don't have it in a computer you do have all your your orders your minutes uh, the case files the the data are there it just needs to be systematized um, and so what we have and, and again we're happy to share with everybody you know how we have um, been able to pull data from those other sources as well um, and uh, and use those to help us figure out you know how what the outcomes of the cases are looking at those factors so you've got it it may be in written form but you have it um, so that that's what I that's what I'd like to share perfect well so you know um, would a border agency need to actually bring in some technical expertise you know if they're if they're trying to go this route I would recommend it um, it, it would not hurt um, if, if you I mean you're certainly welcome to and you can't just use our our manuals because they are based on our own individual board's data but the methodology you know we're happy to share with anybody uh, I would you might need to be bringing in somebody who could do some statistical analyses for you uh, or actually even doing the data collection part if you if you have everything in paper um, but you know you might be able to reach out to um, to a lo your local universities there may be consultants that are out there that can help you with it but you know we're always a resource I'm happy to to help anybody kind of get going in this direction. Uh, having this information has really been a huge benefit to us. Like I said, your boards can certainly defend themselves with this. Everybody kind of knows where their, their ballpark is when they're going to have their sanctions. And it does seem to cut down on, on all these requests to go forward with for more proceedings. So, you know, um, I think it's worth the effort. Um, and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm very happy to help you with that. But I think you are going to need somebody to do the statistical analyses for you. Gotcha. So, I, I, you know, um, I guess any other resources that you would recommend? You know, I would. Uh, I, I, I know, you know, we're within our own uh, community of regulators for professions, but, you know, it might not hurt to, to reach out to your own state or province's criminal justice research agencies. Almost all of them have them. And again, since we, we barred heavily from them in the first place, they may be able to have some insight into your own state or province's own um, sentencing guidelines. And I think that would be a uh, a big boon set up that relationship with one another because I mean you're basically again we're not always looking at criminal offenses but that method just makes sense and I can tell you uh, from looking at all kinds of um, research that's out there now um, it really the expectation of having data and letting that help you be objective in what you're doing that's the future for for anything where we're doing administrative or criminal uh, law so I think uh, setting up a just a, just a chat with them, it wouldn't hurt. Makes makes good sense. Well, I think this has been a great discussion. Um, so I want to thank you, Liz, for your time and being part of this uh, this clear podcast. Um, any last words you'd like to share? Absolutely. Um, you know, again, this uh, the collaboration is the key. Um, you need to work with, with the licensing boards themselves, um, helping them to learn what their own data looks like. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just an effective tool to support fair and equitable and defensible sanction decisions. Um, and it just makes it transparent for everybody. It's neutral, it's consistent, it's proportional. Um, and, you know, of course, it's my baby, but I, you know, I'm very proud of it. And I think it's, it's just the way to go. 
Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it's always wonderful uh, to, to learn about programs in differently regulated ag agencies and examples of how these things uh, and these types of issues can be addressed. So I really do want to thank you for, for speaking with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. And, and also we want to thank our listeners for, for tuning in and joining us today. You know, we'll be back with another episode of Regulation Matters, a clear conversation very soon. If you're new to the Clear Podcast, please subscribe to us. We're available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn. And we're newly available on Alexa for Amazon Echo devices, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes, and now Pandora. If you've enjoyed this episode, uh, please leave a rating and our comment in the app. Uh, your reviews help us to improve our ranking and make it easier for new listeners to find us. Feel free to visit our website at www.clearhq.org for additional resources, as well as a calendar of upcoming online programs and events. Finally, I want to thank our CLEAR staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson. She is our content coordinator and the editor for our program. Once again, I'm Lyne Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking to you again very soon.